You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's good, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Locked On Balls. Today's episode brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On Vols sent you. I'm your host, Eric Kane, radio personality here in Knoxville, Tennessee, a writer for the VolQuest.com website. That's the rival site covering Tennessee football and Tennessee football recruiting. Got a fun show ahead today. We'll have Ward Wednesday. Josh Ward will join the program. And segment number two, we'll get his thoughts a lot on recruiting. We'll talk a little bit about recruiting in segment three as well. But opening up the show today here in segment number one, I want to discuss what does a successful year one look like for Josh Heupel and the Tennessee football team. It's something that we've hit on a little bit throughout the offseason. It's something I was talking to um, some fellow uh, General Quarters members on the uh, VolQuest.com website last night during the or two nights ago during the Monday chat, and I feel like it's, uh, it's a really good topic. What does a successful Tennessee football program look like for you in year one for Josh Heupel? So if you want to go ahead and tweet me at underscore Kane or at Locked On Balls and tell me the answer to that question, I'd love to hear it. I'll tell you what I believe is a successful year number one, giving everything uh, with the program right now, right now, and including the uh, the looming NCAA sanctions that have not been handed down yet, how it helps in recruiting, all that stuff and more right here on a Wednesday edition of Locked On Balls. So year one for Josh Heupel, what's it look like? Well, as I've said many, many times, I think six wins is very doable for this team. I think you have the four non-conference games of Bowling Green, which I think will be a, a, a relatively easy win for Tennessee. Pittsburgh in week two, I think is going to be a tremendous challenge, but I think it's a, I think it is a, a, a game Tennessee can certainly win. I think Tennessee Tech in week three is a win. And so if you sweep those first three weeks, which again is not going to be easy because Pittsburgh's there in week two, you're starting the season off 3-0. and Tennessee will likely lose at Florida. Tennessee will be underdogs at Missouri in week five. Tennessee will have a chance to rebound against South Carolina on October the 9th for its first SEC win of the season. Tennessee will have a challenge against Ole Miss uh, the weekend following on October 16th. Following that, you're at Alabama. We know how that story's told the last 15 years or so. Following that game, you're going to be at Kentucky. Actually, there's going to be a bye week in between Alabama and Kentucky, but then you'll be at Kroger Field. Can Tennessee outduel Kentucky? Can Tennessee outscore Kentucky? I think Tennessee will have a good opportunity to outscore Kentucky and pick up that victory, but I think Tennessee right now, of course, would be an underdog in that game. Georgia's on November the 13th. Then you have South Alabama and Vanderbilt, a chance for Tennessee to finish off the season with two, the regular season with two straight wins. So is six wins a successful year for you uh, in this book? I would think all things considered, six wins, you're not celebrating, but you're saying, okay, that's uh, that that's an expected start. Can Tennessee potentially beat Pittsburgh? Can Tennessee potentially beat a Kentucky and then win all the other games you're supposed to? Could you win seven games? It's not out of the realm of possibility to win at either Kentucky or at Missouri. Both of those games are on the road, I understand. And I don't think Tennessee, in terms of talent, is severely behind those programs. I think depth-wise, yes. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Am I picking Tennessee to win uh, those two games on the road right now? Probably not. But again, there's a lot of time between now and those game weeks. What if Tennessee drops the Pittsburgh game? Okay. Well, then it's all the more important that Tennessee needs to win one of those games at Missouri or at, at Kentucky. What about Ole Miss? Well, quite frankly, guys, I don't think Tennessee can keep up with Ole Miss right now. You got Lane Kiffin, one of the best play callers in the game. 
You got Matt Corral, one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC, returning. You have that explosive offense. I think Tennessee's offense will be better, but is it going to be good enough to go hand-in-hand with Ole Miss? I don't know about right now. So in terms of wins and losses, I think six wins, very doable. I think seven wins, in my opinion, right now would exceed expectations. Most books have Tennessee winning six right now, so that's kind of an easy push if you ask me. But what say you? And do you see this this layout of the schedule any differently than I do here on July the 7th, uh, you know, prior to the 2021 campaign? Let's talk about some stats here. Offensively, how many points per game would be successful in year one? Well, obviously you guys know that Tennessee's offense has been dreadful the last three years under Jeremy Pruitt, Tyson Hilton, and um, Jim Chaney. For reasons that a lot of us don't understand, I think Jeremy Pruitt might have had a heavy hand in what the offense was going to run philosophy-wise. Well, he is the head coach, or he was the head coach at the time, but the results were not there. Tennessee scored 21.5 points last year, which was dreadful. Tennessee averaged about 69 offensive plays per game, which was not good. That was four up from two years ago when Tennessee averaged 65. Um, Tennessee's offense just has not been good, so I think because it's been so low, you're going to see a more successful offense right out of the gate. Uh, does that translate into 30 points per game? Maybe so. That wouldn't be the biggest jump in, in comparison to what some other schools are scoring on, on a regular basis anyway. But you score 30 points in a game, you're going to give yourself a chance. Now, how many of those games will you be able to win scoring 30 points if your defense struggles? Like I believe we're anticipating the defense struggling for the most part this year. I don't know. We'll have to see. But that's why I think it's all the more important to score somewhere a little over 30 points. I think realistically, if you have an increase of about 9 to 10 points, it's a major jump from one year to the next. It's not going to be perfect, but because of the way this offense is set up and it's going to be fast and tempo and you hope that you have a quarterback that is the guy and you're not cha- you're not playing musical chairs at the quarterback position, if you score a little over 30 points a game, can you make a stop here and there defensively? Can you get a big turnover here defensively? Can you be aggressive and and bow up on a third or fourth down late in that ball game? Can you bow up and allow a field goal instead of a touchdown in a red zone opportunities? I think that's what you're going to be looking for for this defense here in 2021. I don't think it's going to be great, but you hope that Tim Danks can dial it up and let it be aggressive to kind of help and steal possessions here and there uh, to help the offense out in 2021. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. If you can get a semblance of that, you know, six wins, offense scoring a little over 30 points, defense averaging a turnover per game, stealing a possession per game, I think that's a good start for Josh Heupel in this Tennessee football program in year one. Now, is that good enough to win where you need to win? No, it's not. And I think everybody knows that. But where this roster is, the depletion of, of depth, there's no depth on this football team right now in some key spots. We're talking linebackers still in the secondary, very, very thin. Um, Very inexperienced rooms at running back and wide receiver, but they're going to get some game experience in a hurry. And ultimately, you still got to find your quarterback. So the challenge is there. And would this recipe be one that you'd want in year number two? No, you'd want it to get better from there. And of course, you want that defense to come around more and more and more. Every single year, Tim Banks and and Josh Heupel come back for a new season. So that's kind of my recipe for... What does a successful year one look like? I understand sometimes if you know you might just say six wins is never acceptable at the University of Tennessee. Well, um, for the most part, I agree with you. But here in twenty twenty one, I wouldn't be putting my expectations you know much further than six wins. I think if Tennessee gets seven wins, I think that's exceeding expectations. And again, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I do believe that would be exceeding expectations. 
But what say you? What does a successful 2021 season look like? So we're talking about all that, but even in the worlds of recruiting. Tennessee right now, per rivals, the 46th class in the country. Long way to go. Long way to go. You got eight commits. You had some uh, positive momentum at the tail end of last week. We'll see if Tennessee can get another commit later on this week. But what about recruiting? What about the NCAA sanctions that are looming? The potential bowl ban, the potential loss of scholarships, all that's still very much undecided right now, and that's kind of hanging over the, the heads of some prospects who are currently in this 2022 class and you know who are still looking to commit somewhere. Might be some reservations towards Tennessee because of all that. Maybe if there's some solid grounding in that and we figure out exactly what is the punishment by kickoff, which I'm not really expecting, but you never know. Maybe that will help in terms of recruiting as well. So uh, we'll have to see. But I think a little bit of that combination would be a successful Tennessee football team in 2021. What say you at underscore Kaner and at Locked on Vols? I want to know what you think a successful 2021 football season will look like. Of course, we will preview every position. We'll preview every opponent. We'll get started on that here pretty soon because football is just right, right around the corner with fall camp starting here in just a couple of weeks. Josh War coming up in segment number two, but first let me remind you guys about Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers and makes and models of cars, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock up on all the parts you need. So why endure the often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning that you get from over-the-counter people at these places? Choosing your brand at the warehouse that happens to carry, you can do all that online at rockauto.com. It's a family Owned and operated business for over 20 years. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. And, and why choose to spend up to 30%, 50%, even sometimes 100% more for the same parts from your chain store or car dealership when you can get it at a cheaper rate at rockauto.com. All prices reliably low for every single customer. They've got everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps and motor rolls, even new carpets. You can go right now and explore their website. It's very easy to navigate through. You can find the solution to all of your auto part needs. So right now, go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. Right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box and they know that we sent you. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Josh, Tennessee, a, uh, a pretty pretty good week in recruiting, all things considered. Picked up three total commits in the span of about 21 hours uh, there last week. And, and Brandon Turnage from Alabama. Of course, you had Jordan Phillips, uh, as well as a uh, big man from Detroit, Masai Reddick. And what are you seeing in any of those guys? I, I think Reddick is a projectile player down the road. I think Tennessee kind of saw him at a camp, and they like what they saw. I think Turnage could potentially be a starter at some point. And then Phillips, uh, another guy down the road that looks at depth for that defensive line that will lose a lot of guys after this year. Yeah, I'll start in order of experience. I'll go with Brandon Turnage. They need help in the defensive backfield. Missed on Prunty going to South Carolina as a transfer option from Kansas and quickly turned their attention as a coaching staff with him not going to Georgia. These are just moving parts. Tennessee's dealt with this, losing a guy who decided to come to Tennessee and then decided to go elsewhere. Now Turnage is a guy who had planned to go somewhere else. Now he's at Tennessee, and that's something we talked about several weeks ago, is that the guys are going to come and go, and you still have to pay attention to who might become available as, especially this year, rosters uh, rosters are just turning over. With the high school recruiting on the line, it's pretty clear Tennessee is looking for some guys that maybe can be project players that can develop into guys that can play at the SEC level. I think with what they've gotten so far, that would be what stands out. 
And I think uh, Masai Reddick would be the latest with that. On the defensive line, they need to get some guys up front. So I think landing Jordan Phillips is a nice get for this class, and they targeted him as an important player to add early in the class and continue to build up front. But they need defensive linemen in this class. So getting Jordan Phillips and going to the state of Florida, I'm sure that's something that they will try to do. If they have connections in recruiting, thanks to Josh Heupel's time down there and some of his his assistant coaches having been at UCF, take advantage of that. But they need to build in all of these different states. So you've seen him go from uh, Ohio down to the state of Florida and all around. Tennessee now eight commits for the class of 2022. Two four-stars per rivals in Taven Jackson and Vincent Sneed. Overall, you compare this class to a lot of the other classes around the SEC. It's it's not complete. There's still a lot of time left. But the blue chip, you know, per commit ratio is not very high. Yeah, it's not anywhere close to where Tennessee wants it to be. And we, I think we have to remember that when we have conversations about what recruiting analysts say or what fans are thinking about recruiting. Remember, the coaches have their own big board. And I can assure you there are some other guys that are more highly ranked by the services that the coaching staff also wants to be able to land. So uh, I, I think you'll see some momentum build as the summer goes along. I think there was a hope that maybe in the month of June, I know that there was a hope that fans would see uh, a number of commits hop on board very quickly after the dead period ended. And I don't know that that was realistic going in, but I think the last 30 days have been a reminder that recruits are still taking a wait-and-see approach to see what's going on with the program, building relationships with the coaches. You have the NCAA cloud, which we have to mention every time, and I'm sure fans are tired of it, but you know who's tired of it? The coaches, because they're having to, to deal with it in recruiting. So things will get better, but there is also a long way to go. If you look at what other schools are doing in the SEC, not just the obvious ones, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M, they're doing a great job in recruiting, but Missouri's applying a little pressure early. They're doing really well. Eli Drinkwitz should be really happy with where his class is. South Carolina's had a good week here. So long way to go. And remember a year ago, Tennessee looked like it was going to have one of the top five classes in the country maybe, and it didn't end up anywhere close to that. So you're hoping for a reverse conversation where Tennessee is way back right now, but hoping to make a big move over the next five months. Who are some guys down the line? I know a couple of NSA players that we hear a lot about right now. Isaiah Horton, Cam Miller, a Memphis athlete, of course, a wide, re- wide receiver from uh, from the Nashville area. And then uh, four-star offensive lineman Addison Nichols. Those are three guys that are really hot right now. I think Tennessee's trending in the right direction there. I think if Tennessee were able to land all three of those, absolutely. Two of the three, you'd be uh, you'd feel much better about this class heading into the last couple weeks of July. Yeah, I, I think that's a big deal. And those would be players where it's realistic right now. We can throw out some highly tatted players. But if you know that Tennessee's playing catch-up for real, then expecting Tennessee to win a lot of those battles might not be fair. But with those players at that position, especially at wide receiver, with Miller and with Horton, it would make sense if they decide to hop on board. They have a connection to, to Tennessee, and it's an offense that is, is expected to be really good. And that's something that Josh Heupel can legitimately sell. Selling what the program's going to be, a lot of coaches can come back and say, yeah, but Tennessee's gone through this before. Josh Heupel can legitimately sell, hey, my offense was good at Missouri, my offense was good at UCF, and then point to the progress that he was able to make in development with the number of players and say, you're next in line. Jalen Hyatt's going to do well. And and that's another thing you hope to get out on the field this fall and, and back it up with some of these players compare their 2020 numbers to what they're able to do in 2021, and then you keep selling. But if they can land some highly touted offensive guys, you got to score in this league. Uh, Tennessee fans know that for sure, uh, watching what their opponents do. Josh Heupel knows that. So those guys can help. And uh, building on the defensive side, I think, is going to be the bigger challenge. Josh, here on uh, here on War Wednesday, Locked on Vols, uh, something I want to ask you about, we haven't had a chance to talk about really, name, image, and likeness. I mean, it is, it's a whole new world. It's changing the game. What's your thoughts on how this could affect recruiting? Because I think it's going to play a major role in recruiting here in the years to come. 
And I think Tennessee is a school that could benefit. Tennessee yeah. has the resources. Tennessee has people behind the scenes. They have a, a lot of smart people that can help athletes with their branding is a word that's used a lot. But uh, getting their image out there, which is what it literally is, to then help them sell themselves. And it, it comes up. It comes back to the players you have to produce. And I don't think all of a sudden Tennessee is going to steal a bunch of kids away from Alabama or Clemson. But if you're going up against uh, a Virginia Tech or South Carolina maybe or Missouri maybe, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee lost some guys to Kentucky. Maybe here in the future name, image, likeness can help in-state players think, you know what, staying in-state at Tennessee with what they're able to do for me could help. So uh, I, it'll definitely play a role. It'll be sold on the recruiting trail. Uh, will there be some some wink, wink, nod, nod deals that happen that aren't supposed to? Yes, but that already happens. Yeah. And and I don't even think they wink. They just hand it over. <laughs> you know, so... McDonald's uh, bags, right? Right. Uh, that's what we hear. That's what we hear. So uh, it, it'll be a game changer for sure. And we're also... It, it's just started. So I think there's there's a lot of reaction I think overall this is going to be a good thing. There will be some negatives that come out of it, but with with all change, I think there is worry that comes that often isn't warranted, and I think uh, worrying about the challenges that are there and some of the mistakes that kids are going to make, again, they're going to, in the long run for them, maybe that even ends up being a good thing. I think overall for college football, for college sports, because this is not just a college football thing, that's what gets the most attention, but this can help athletes in all sports. For that, I think it's good. Last thing uh, we, we got for you here, and this is something I got on the VolQuest chat a couple of nights ago, and I, I really liked it. Uh, I think we all recognize year one is going to be a challenging year for Josh Heupel just because of everything going on. Talent depleted, 3-7, and seven, uh, looming sanctions, all that type of stuff. But what should Tennessee fans be looking for in year one to say, okay, this might be different. I see stepping stones. If you'll allow me, I see brick by brick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but what should fans uh, be, be on the lookout for in year one to say, okay, this might be different than the past couple of rebuilds in terms of explosive offense or anything like that? Well, I think quarterback development is an obvious answer because that didn't happen the way that it was supposed to the last few years with, I think, a number of players, not just Jerry Garantano. But uh, starting at quarterback and then the offense overall, also offensive decision makings. There were too many times to count where Jeremy Pruitt made a decision that I just didn't understand. And I thought it was a decision from 2012, uh, kick a field goal or go for it on fourth and short. And uh, I think you'll see Josh Heupel make better decisions in that regard. But let's see if that happens. Let's see if situationally in, in a big SEC spot, what Josh Heupel does. But uh, that's that's the biggest deal. Uh, I don't know what to really tell fans to watch for on defense if it's because I think it's going to be a struggle. If it's I, I say that, I say I say create turnovers. You're going to give up points. There you go. You're going to give up yards. But if yeah. you could steal a possession or two per game, if you can make a one big third or fourth down stop, one big red zone stop, one big forced fumble, you know, one of those per game, yeah. I think will give your team a chance if your offense is scoring. Yeah, and I think applying pressure is going to be really important there. I'm still a little skeptical how that's going to go. So if the defense is able to exceed expectations, that would really create some confidence that Tim Banks is is ready to take charge with what he's doing on that side of the ball defensively. But uh, I, I would say that and then fighting all the way through, even year one. The year one is when you're supposed to get players to buy in and, hey, we're the underdogs, we know that, let's go all the way. Jeremy Pruitt's first year at Tennessee, they did that a little bit against Auburn and against Kentucky, and then the last two games of the season melted in. Yeah. And uh, you don't want to see that if, if things are going poorly. If you if you actually win some games that you're not expecting to, well, then you can start to maybe get a little more excited about what the immediate future will be. But I think it's decision-making and how your players respond. What's coming up on Sports 180 this week? A lot of football talk. Phil Still is a guest on Tuesday's Sports 180. So uh, when you listen to this, you can go back and uh, podcast if you want to. We podcast all our interviews. But a lot of football talk. We're looking ahead to football practice, which, which is just a few weeks away. Also, uh, the volunteers. We're getting excited for a little more basketball in July. 
Great stuff as always there from Josh Ward here on Ward Wednesdays. Be sure to check out his radio program Monday through Friday on the Sports Animal, noon to 3 Eastern Time. That is Sports 180. We'll tie a bow on this Wednesday edition of Locked On Balls coming up here in just a second. But first, guys, Bill Barr. Right now at BillBarr.com, you've got the Grasshopper Cookie. It's available this week, July 6th through 9th, and it's the brand new Bill Barr flavor. You can try it out. But again, it's this week, July 6th through 9th. What's it taste like? Well, this Bill Barr is the version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie. Everybody loves Girl Scout cookies, huh? Well, this is a Bill Barr's edition of Thin Mint Cookie. Again, it's called the Grasshopper Cookie. All the flavor without the sugar. Just 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 5 grams of sugar. So I'm always talking about ordering those mixed boxes of uh, two of each flavor in each box if you're a little unfamiliar on what your favorite flavor of Bilt Bar may be. Sometimes there's limited on flavors. This week, again, it's the Grasshopper Cookie, July the 6th through the 9th. But if you want to try that out and you also want to try out some of the other OGs, some of the other fan favorites, you've got the Coconut, Cherry, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, Salted Caramel, Strawberry, Orange, Cookies and Cream, and German Chocolate. Find out which one is your favorite today by ordering at BuiltBar.com. Most of these flavors are so good for you. It's great for that health-conscious guy or gal. You can lose or maintain weights all by delivering, all by enjoying this delicious treat of 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 100 to 30 to 180 per serving. So go ahead and order today. Go ahead and order that grasshopper cookie and support the United States track and field team because, hey, Bill Barr, it's the official protein bar for the United States track and field team. The Olympics are coming up. I thought that's a, a pretty awesome note there. So right now, go online to BillBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your first order. Try the grasshopper cookie today at BuiltBar.com. Right, we got a final segment left here of a Wednesday Locked On Vols at Locked On Vols on Twitter at underscore Kaner. I'm Mary Kane, your host. And guys, I appreciate you hanging out like you always do. And we'll have another episode drop this Friday. We'll be back to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday content uh, next week. And then a reminder July the 19th, we're back to five days a week. Five days a week starting July the 19th. All right, so I wanted to end the show here on a Wednesday. Uh, I've been asked via the DMs. Um, via via the emails by a lot of you listeners, um, what exactly has been the deal with the, I don't, I don't want to call it Max Exodus, but you had three players in the span of about two weeks uh, leave the program dating back to last week. So you had, um, you had Malachi Weidman a couple weeks ago decide he's going to leave the, leave the team and enter the transfer portal. You had Greg Emerson do the same, as well as Darrell Middleton, and of course Caden Salter. And is that a reason to panic, or was that expected? I think for the most part... Um, it was very much expected. These are some of the names that we've heard that uh, might be transfer portal bound for quite some time, dating back to spring practice. If we remember, guys, uh, there were many, many sessions. For the most part, uh, Malachi Weidman did not suit up and go through spring drills. Darrell Middleton did not suit up and go through spring drills. Greg Emerson, the same thing. Most of the time, these guys did not compete in the spring game or those scrimmages leading up to the spring game. In fact, I mean, I have to go back and check my notes, but in fact, I remember Malachi Weidman uh, being dressed out and being limited early on in spring, but then I think about midway through, I never saw him back out there for practice. And again, keep in mind, we're only out there for uh, about 20 minutes when we view practice. So a lot of times, you know, these coaches, you guys who are injured, whatever the case may be, will hold guys in. We come out there, we leave, they let the guys come out. I mean, it's just just kind of how things go sometimes. But um, 
these are some of the names that have been floating around as rumors heading to the transfer portal for quite some time. To be completely honest with you, I'm kind of shocked it took this long. I mean, we're talking mid-June for one of them to go, and then late June, early July um, for, for the other two to go. I'm not saying that they were always training like they were heading there, but these were the three names you consistently heard about potentially not making it with this coaching staff. And there can be many reasons. Maybe a, a difference in philosophy. Maybe not adapting to the new culture. Maybe not liking your new position coach. I don't know the exact case for each and every player, for Weidman, for Emerson, and for Middleton. I, I don't know the exact case for each each uh, player. But I think it was pretty evident in spring that the emergence of Jimmy Callaway. You like some things that you saw from Anderson Kobe. You like what Cedric Tillman was doing. Uh, Walker Morrell, uh, Walker Merrill, excuse me, when he was out there, um, he was doing some nice things before he was injured. Um, so I think maybe Malachi Wyman kind of got lost in the shuffle. He saw a Jimmy Holiday that was doing everything he possibly could with a black jersey on being held out of full contact. Maybe Malachi Wyman felt like he was lost in the shuffle. I don't know. As the defensive line's concerned, you have so many returners, so many guys who have played significant snaps for this team, but after spring practice, you still saw... Tim Banks, Josh Heupel, Rodney Garner go out and bring in two guys from the transfer portal and Caleb Tremblay and Deshaun Terry, two guys that those three gentlemen feel like can help Tennessee right now, and uh, Terry, in Terry's case, uh, can help in the future as well. So maybe that was a message sent to some of the players still on the roster, some of the players like Emerson and Middleton who are no longer on the roster that, hey, you either get with it or you leave. Regardless, this train's going with it whether you're on it or not. I, I don't know the case for every single one of these guys, but I, I will say not a surprise whatsoever uh, with the departures of Malachi Weidman, of, of Emerson, and of Middleton. Now, replacing these guys, because these guys, at least the the latter two, Weidman was a true freshman in 2020. He didn't really ever get going to see his Tennessee career blossom. He's a tremendous athlete. A great basketball player, I think really skilled wide receiver, and I hope that he goes somewhere and balls out because I think he's got a lot of talent, a whole lot of talent. But in terms of Darrell Middleton and Greg Emerson, those two guys have played a lot of football for Tennessee the last couple of years. Greg Emerson, I believe he's had, what, played in 24 games with nine starts throughout his career. I mean, he's played a lot of football. He was a big piece of Tennessee's 2019 defensive line that uh, was a big reason why that defense was was pretty stout, was pretty stout and led – it was one of the nation's leaders. I believe it finished top 20 in the country in takeaways because it got a good pre- got a good pressure up front. I think it gelled really, really well with Tracy Rocker and Greg Emerson, a big part of that. Jerome Middleton that season was also a big part of it. And, of course, those two guys played last year as well in 2020. As I've said many, many times, I think the defensive line has been a position group that just – it's it's not it's not their fault, you know. I mean, I think the defense last year was bad. I think the secondary was bad, and a lot of that reason is because the 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 front seven, the 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 push was not there. It was not existent. But when you have Tracy Rocker to Jimmy Brumbaugh to Jeremy Pruitt, when you have all that transition, and now to Rodney Garner, I mean, those guys are talking about four position coaches in the span of less than two seasons. It's a lot of turnover. Um, it's just it's it's really it's really unfortunate because again, you know, a lot of these guys have a lot to give and have given a lot, and I just think the lack of you know personal attention and personal coaching really hurt that group in the span of two seasons. Now, is that the entire all the reason? No, I, I think there's been a drop off of talent there. It's up to Rodney Garner again to instill and get that back this year, and uh, he's going to try to do that without Greg Emerson and Darrell Melton. Aubrey Solomon's still on the team. You still have a lot of a lot of veterans like Matthew Butler, Jaquan Blakely, 
Um, again, I mentioned Aubrey Solomon. Now you've got Deshaun Terry, Caleb Tremblay. You throw in Amari Thomas of the mix, Dominic Bailey. Um, you've got a Mar- newcomer Amari McNeil. Got a lot of got a lot of still a lot of bodies there up front, and I know I've forgotten a few. It's just this is all off the top of my head. Um, but we'll see exactly how this this unit operates now without uh, two of those guys. So I think a lot of fans might have kind of gotten panicky, and, and that's okay. Um, but I, I this this was expected for for quite some time. So I kind of want to touch base on that because I had uh, some people reach out to me asking my thoughts on on Malachi Wyman, Greg Emerson, and Jerome Middleton hitting the transfer portal. Of course. We all know what happened to Caden Salter. He got in trouble again, and two marks in the span of just a couple of months, all with the span of being here since early, late January, early February. We all understand why Caden Salter is heading somewhere else. Also saw on his Twitter account late on Monday that he is shutting down his recruitment. I would assume that he will announce where he is going to go uh, and uh, go ahead and just really begin his college career uh, here in the next little bit. So I'll be intrigued to see about that. All right, guys, that'll do it here for a Wednesday show. Really appreciate you guys for hanging out. We'll come back and finish off the work week on Friday, as we always do. And now that we're done here with Locked On Balls, take a look at the Locked On Today podcast. What's the key for the Phoenix Sun and the Suns in the NBA Finals? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Follow this podcast at Locked On Balls. Follow me at underscore Kaner. Guys, I appreciate it. We'll talk Friday. Until then... Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, everybody.